The countdown is on to fight time. This is Big Fight Weekend. Now, here is your host, TJ Reeves. All right, welcome in as we roll along and get ready for another weekend. It is the only stop you need to get ready for the fights for the weekend, the news of the week, and much more. Glad to be back with you on the somewhat capable host. He is our insider from his Fight Freaks Unite Substack and from BigFightWeekend.com. Hello to Dan Rayfield as we embark on a week that has an intriguing fight in England with Lee Wood and Mauricio Laura that has uh, news involving Gervonta Davis and a guilty plea on his hit-and-run charges. We got a bunch. We got a bunch to cover. How you feeling? I'm good. Probably feeling better than Gervonta Davis is mm, right about now. We're going to get into that in a moment or two. Uh, also, we have a Golden Boy show in Southern California that we'll be discussing as well. Uh, some other fight news to get to, some nostalgia to get to. We always love the public finding us, however you've done so. A social media link, Dan Substack, BigFightWeekend.com, however you found us. Follow or subscribe. Make sure that you're doing so on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. You get the podcast automatically going into the weekend. We release it overnight, Thursday into Friday for the preview. We come off the weekend, and we've been very good. You and I have put a lot of work in here being diligent. We are almost at the point where we're talking to each other more than we're talking to family members at times. <laughs> we come off the weekend with the recap pod, podcast, the Fight Freaks Unite recap, comes off the weekend late Sunday into Monday. Yeah, we had double dose. We had double we, dose. We haven't done this in a couple of weeks. Why don't you tell the folks how, what, if they subscribe, what they're going to get? Yeah. So if you subscribe, Dan, uh, we have been letting the audience know that you will get a notification of some kind. Those notifications would include like a light, a bell. What else might they include, Dan, uh, for a notification? Ding, right. A ding, a buzz, a, ba- a banner. A banner will come up. Something will tell you new podcast and you need other you don't need any other prompting to know we got something new heading into the weekend or coming off the weekend. You get also some special programming at times, some special guests, some different podcast uh, conversation. We do all of that with the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed here. One stop for all of it. And we're glad you're finding us as the audience has continued to grow uh, in the winter months here as we get into now February and towards the end of February. All right, let's get into uh gervonta davis first that's the biggest news and the freshest thing that happened which is his guilty plea to four different charges involving november 2020 hit and run car accident that took place in baltimore uh just days actually after he had knocked out leo santa cruz with a devastating knockout in in san antonio days later he's involved in a hit and run car accident left the scene of an accident with injuries so we have built this up. We have talked about it. This was to have been the week that the trial was to have started. They tried to have a plea agreement before. The judge at that time said, uh-uh, female judge in Baltimore said, I'm not accepting this plea agreement. This is the judge's prerogative to do so. Come back with something else. So they now have come back with a plea agreement with Davis agreeing to plead, guilt, plead guilty to four of the charges and to be sentenced coming up in May. So, Dan Rayfield, give me thoughts, because you've been working on this on Wednesday. You've written about it on your Substack as well. We wrote about it on Big Fight Weekend. Give me your thoughts, and then I'm going to give you a little legal analysis that I have gotten as well uh, about this. So go ahead, Dan, with uh, with the latest, and uh, give us some insight. Well, the trial was originally scheduled for December. It was postponed until Thursday. <clears throat> and as the trial was going to get underway, rather than go through the, the trial, he enter, entered the plea of guilty to the four counts, as you mentioned, uh, on a variety of different issues related to that incident. Like you said, happened like two o'clock in the morning where he plowed through, you know, he was leaving a restaurant or a club or something and not, not no, no DUI involved or anything. So just because he was at a club, he was not drinking. Uh, but the bottom line was he plowed through a red light and he hit another car uh, in the passenger side and injured four people. And uh, he settled out of court with three of them. One of the women that was in the car who was injured is suing him in, in civil court. But he had to face the music in terms of the legal part of it. And he faced a lot of charges. And, uh, you know, they, they kept saying, well, you know, it's nothing's going to come of this. He's going to be innocent, blah, blah, blah. Well, I never <laughs> bought that because they never canceled the, the trial. It was always scheduled. So now he pleads guilty to the counts. But the thing as far as if you're what we do here is boxing. We're not lawyers. We want to see the big fights. So whatever you think about Gervonta Davis, the human being, and for his involvement in such an incident, the reality is he's not being sentenced till May 5th. So what does that mean? That means that he's available to box on April 15th, which is the date that they're trying to settle and finalize and wrap up all the details on the big giant fight against Ryan Garcia. So they are still 
hammering out the, the little nitty gritty of the paperwork. But by all accounts, that that's going to get taken care of and it will allow him to do the fight on April 15th. Now, all along, as we've discussed, Tank Davis and Ryan Garcia, we've always thrown in the caveat if he's available to fight because we didn't know if he was going to be in jail or not. So I'm going to throw a caveat out there right now. They can get all the paperwork done and signed and sealed and delivered for April 15th, and he won't be sentenced in Maryland until May 5th. And you have to figure there's going to be some jail time because the previous judge already threw out a plea agreement that didn't include any jail time. And the reason that the judge said that they were not going to accept that plea agreement was because it had no element of jail. But what could throw a potential monkey wrench into April 15th still, I don't think this will happen, but you have to have it as a possibility. The Nevada Commission has every right to deny Javante Davis a license while he's under conviction and about to go to prison or jail or whatever for this particular situation. So I'm not saying that that's going to happen, but they've done things like that. They wouldn't license Mike Tyson because he bit Lennox Lewis on a, on a leg in a press mm-hmm. conference, so which is far less serious than a, a hit and run conviction on four different counts. So uh, they're going to have to go before the Nevada commission and get a license. I'm not saying that he'll be denied denied. I'm saying it is certainly within the prerogative of the commission to do so. So right, a couple we of- have, hopefully we'll have a fight. Yep. And Gervonta will have to pay the piper after the fight, it seems. Okay, so there's a couple of things that are interesting about this, because you and I have been talking off the air. And so I reached out, because these guys do a tremendous job in terms of sports law. Dan Lust and Daniel Wallach with the Conduct Detrimental Podcast. These are lawyers. Uh, Dan has been uh, with the uh, New York Law School, with the Garagos Law Firm nationally. He's now uh, w- with his own private practice, etc., Uh, Daniel Wallach is also a lawyer. They go through a bunch of different sports law, contracts, legal stuff. They're a great resource to go to. So I'm publicly shouting out to to Dan and Daniel with what they do. Now, they have also a website, ConductDetrimental.com, that they they, uh, utilize. And they have other lawyers and people with legal backgrounds that help them, that assist them. So when I contacted Dan Lust to get some more insight into what might this sentence be, I, I went at it from, okay, who's familiar, uh, Dan, with uh, uh, criminal cases involving hit and run that would have some insight on Maryland law? He said, I've got the perfect guy for you. Utilize one of the guys that we utilize. And uh, that is Matt Timpanic. Matt has his own law firm in Sarasota, Florida, not far from where I'm sitting. But Matt's background is that he is a UMass law grad. He is licensed in several states, including Florida. He's also a former federal prosecutor, hello, for several years, now a criminal defense attorney. So Matt and I talked for a few minutes off the air. We weren't able to make the recorded interview happen, but we talked for a few minutes off the air. I specifically, Brother Raphael, wanted to know, what is your thought on his plea, Davis, to the four charges and what the jail time might be? So Matt told me several things that are of interest. The most serious charge is obviously leaving the scene of the accident with bodily harm. He was charged, Davis, with four counts of that because there were four people injured in the other car. When he pled guilty today, they reduced that to one solitary charge of leaving the scene of the accident with bodily harm. Why is that important, you might ask, boxing fans? Because he was facing four separate jailable, if jailable is the right way to put it, uh, situations with four of them. They reduced it down to one in the plea agreement. One case of essentially felony leaving the scene of the accident with bodily harm. Under Maryland law, it is a felony, and it's a felony in most states. Like Florida, you live in Virginia. If you're living in most states, Illinois, Chicago, New York, whatever. But before you, you go further, yeah, TJ, sure. just let's tell the folks one thing. He took the, the he made the plea and is going to be sentenced May 5th, but there's no existing agreement. That's right. That, like an actual plea deal, like they've hammered out what his sentence going to be. He's kind of okay. flying blind here. They don't know. Yes, and I'll give you get. in, and I'll give you insight on exactly what Matt. That's uh, a big deal. Tim Panic is saying about why that came about and how that came about. So what Matt said is the most serious charge is obviously that one. The other three charges, uh, which in this case are driving with a revoked license, running a red light, and the property damage uh, that he did, leaving the scene with the property damage, those are all misdemeanors. They are not typically in any state going to be a jailable offense unless you were a repeat offender, you had done this before, and you did it again, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So he said the most serious one is the the plea to one serious charge 
All right. So then I asked him, I said, okay, what do you make of exactly what you just asked? That there's not a recommendation from the prosecutor. There's not an agreement in this case. He said, I have followed this case. I have looked it up. When they went to the previous judge, Judge Finn in Maryland court, and she rejected the plea agreement because it did not have jail time. He said, I'm telling you from experience, federal prosecutor level, state level, prosecutor, defense attorney, both sides knew at that point, Gervonta Davis is going to be facing jail time unless he goes to a jury trial and they acquit him of everything. The problem here is there's not only witness testimony that it's him at the scene because the woman that's injured that's still suing him saw him. They made eye contact. She says it's him. There's also video. There's traffic camera video to back it up. So as Matt said, can I say this with 100% certainty? No, but I'm very, very much almost certain they have met with Gervonta Davis and said, look, let's minimize the jail time. The judge has rejected the plea that has no jail time. Let's plead. Let's apologize in front of the judge. Let's apologize to the victims. And hopefully it will be something like what Matt believes nine to 12 months. He said, going by case law in Maryland and judging by the circumstances of the previous judge rejecting it, and now you've got a new judge, he believes it's going to be like a nine to 12 month sentence, most likely not in a prison, but in the Baltimore jail. That could also get reduced by other factors, but he believes with his legal background, that's what the sentence will be on May the fourth. And, and there's what also will happen. Go ahead. There's also maybe good behavior. Correct. But then again, Gervonta Davis, unfortunately, for me, he's got a rap sheet of other. And so, and so that's, that's interesting. Previous problems will be taken into account by the judge. And also the judge will look at aggravating circumstances. That's another key part of this. And it is an aggravating circumstance in most states, including Maryland. And I know we're going deep into this, but this is important. Gervonta Davis could be in jail as soon as May the 4th. It's May the 4th, right? May the 5th. Because May the 4th, by the way, I'm doing this show with a Star Wars shirt on. May the 4th is May the 4th be with you, by the way. Yeah. All right. So in any in any event, um, just lightening it up for a second. If the judge says aggravating circumstances, which it is an aggravated circumstance for, for him to have walked up to the other car, to have looked in the other car and seen injury, hear people crying out for help, seen injury, and leave, that's considered under Maryland law and a lot of other states, an aggravating circumstance. This judge could go beyond a year, but it's Matt's belief, the lawyer we're talking about, a former federal prosecutor, that it probably won't be more than that. But he said, I can totally envision this judge lecturing Gervonta Davis that you had an opportunity to try to help these people. You had an opportunity to wait at the scene and make sure they were okay, and you left. That's Here, an aggravating circumstance, so that's important. If he doesn't run from the scene, I mean, maybe he gets cited for running a red light or the damage to the property, Correct. which would not have put him in jail, probably. That would have been more financial, maybe a suspended sentence or something like that. It's like the cover-up's worse than the crime concept. He really fucked himself by leaving. If he just yes. smashed into the car and then he did everything he could to help, call the cops, call the police, you know, call the ambulance, whatever the case, call 911 and, and, and help them out. You know, there's there's seems to me a pretty good likelihood that this would not have been the case that it become. And this has been, you know, behind, you know, hanging over him for what, two years now. And the, the thing that that kind of irks me is everybody around him that's involved in his business, his boxing career. Oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. OK, <laughs> so fine. So we got the fight that Garcia, right. uh, Hector Garcia fight in January, made his money. He's going to theoretically get to fight the 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 ryan garcia fight come april make his money but then he's gonna probably go away almost for sure for a certain period of time how long we don't know but it's going to take a little bit of a bite out of his career at that point and uh all the people that said nothing was going to come of it don't know what the fuck they're talking about the trial was never canceled it was always on the docket uh i can't tell you how many people that were in and around this were like oh no no everything's gonna be fine well maybe from the standpoint that he can fight april 15th but i wouldn't Correct. consider a conviction on and pleading guilty to four counts and probably going away come May as uh you know everything's going to be okay. So look, all right. At the One end more day, point: you, got, you get what you deserve, I suppose, sure. in the, the legal system. And you know, if he did the crime, he's going to do the t some time. 
And and the important point from the lawyer, I said, okay, clarify one more thing for me, and then I promise, folks, we're moving on to the fights in the ring. But this is a big deal. I said, when the judge in this case, um, uh, the new judge Athena Handy is her name. She's a circuit court judge in uh, in Baltimore. When she bangs the gavel on May the fifth, and they put court in session, and she then uh, hears from anybody that wants to speak out, and that's going to be the victim. She hears from Gervonta Davis, and then she imposes sentence. I said to Matt Tim Panic, the lawyer. I said, in that case, when she bangs the gavel, here's your sentence. Does he immediately go into custody? He said, more than most likely, right then and right there. She's going to sentence him. He goes into custody. He more than likely goes to the Baltimore jail. He said one exception would be if his counsel believes that the sentence is excessive. They could then plead to the court, we believe he should get bail while we appeal this. He said more than likely because they've reached a plea agreement, they know. They know their reality. They know she's going to sentence him. And they're saying to Gervonta Davis, and probably have been for weeks, be ready, be apologetic, but be ready for her to bang the gavel and for you to go to jail. So I just thought Listen, that was interesting. Not, at this point, it's not about guilty or innocent. It's about doing everything you can to minimize the punishment. That's right. And so uh, he said, I'll be very interested. Is he contrite? Is he apologizing? What does the judge do? But he said it would probably be somewhere around nine to 12 months that he will get. And then in that case, as you mentioned, there are other factors, good behavior, whatever. How long would he be out uh, out of action, in jail, et cetera? So we'll find that out. But that, by that the way, I thought was some really good insight from those guys. From the boxing point of view, if the fight with Ryan Garcia does, in fact, get signed, it happens. You can only imagine the pressure that he's going to feel going into that fight with the amount of spotlight on him in a, in a negative way. The the fact that he's going to be going away most likely after the fight is going to be a huge part of the buildup to the fight. And if Ryan Garcia chooses to get nasty or is, you know, the, the Garcia side chooses to get nasty in the way they promote the fight. I mean, it's going to be a train wreck. All right. So we'll see what happens um, uh, with this situation. More to come, obviously, with Gervonta Davis. And uh, and again, May 5th will be the sentencing uh, in Baltimore for that. Uh, so there you go with the insight. And again, thanks to Dan Lust, Daniel Wallach, the Conduct Detrimental Podcast. Look them up, ConductDetrimental.com. And Matt Tampanic, again, of the Tampanic Criminal Defense Law Firm in Florida, was the one assisting me and giving me uh, great insight uh, on this, he I said just one more thing. I said, is it common for a judge to reject plea deals? He said, not very common. Not not happen. It doesn't happen. It's not that it doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen that often. And in this case, because he looked into it, it revolves like what you said around no jail time previously uh, for these charges. Uh, I mean, it so feels like go. to me, by the way. And then we can move on. That instead of going to them in the first place with zero jail time that everybody probably would have been best served. If they like, I'm not saying that they would have accepted it, but if they had said the six months house arrest and, and we'll, we'll have about two months in jail, you know, maybe the judge goes for it and it's mm -hmm. all behind them at this point, but that's not the case. And he would have had the alternative one more time to go to a jury trial and take his chances on getting acquitted. But I think their actions with the plea agreement, they realize you're, I mean, you, you are caught. It's you, you were there. It's your wreck. You left the scene. That's on video. When the authorities showed up, you weren't there. This is a black and white ironclad. You hit her uh, with a vehicle, hit that vehicle and you left the scene. So there you go. There you go. We spent a lot of time on that. Hey, why don't we bring it to boxing in the ring? And we've got there an upcoming uh, title fight. This is what we're here to mainly do. Uh, we've got an, uh, a bout for Lee Woods WBA featherweight championship against a guy that has pulled upsets before a very tough, rugged Mexican and Mauricio Laura. They're back in England, Nottingham, England. DeZone will televise uh, this uh, coming up in the United States Saturday afternoon, Saturday night in prime time. All right, Dan. DeZone, DeZone all around the world. There you go. Yes. Lay it on us. U UK also. Well, now that now that matchroom boxing is on DeZone, all of their shows uh, are on DAZN in America and in the UK. And, you know, there's a few territories that may get carved out, but basically all of the matchroom events are on DAZN worldwide. But this is a hell of a fight. This is a fight of the weekend. Uh, we've had a great run in the last few weeks between uh, what happened with Better Biev and his title defense. Um, we had a tremendous fight between, uh, you know, with Navarrete and Liam Wilson. We have had, you know, some some very good fights. Uh, we had that good showbox fight from a couple of weeks ago with Sean Hempel. So mm -hmm. there's been some nice fights, some fight of the year type candidates uh, over the last few weeks. And I haven't even mentioned all of them, but 
you know, Lee Wood against Mauricio Lara stacks up on paper anyway as a fight that could be in that same conversation because they're both guys that have had, you know, very exciting fights. I mean, the thing about this fight, though, is Lee Wood has not fought since that that barn burner 11 months ago against Michael Conlon, where some people called it the fight of the year. I didn't think it was to that level, but certainly the knockout of the year when he came back from being down on the cards and knocked Michael Conlon out of the ring to end the mm-hmm. fight in the 12th round to uh, retain that title, which went eventually from the secondary title. He was elevated because Leo Santa Cruz, uh, you know, gave up the title for a lot of different reasons, mainly because he wouldn't fight Lee Wood. In any event, uh, Mauricio Lara, though, is no uh, stranger to going to the UK and, and pulling upsets and having good fights. He had the, the absolute beatdown against Josh Warrington. Uh, when he was a completely unknown fighter and he went there and fought him the first time. This was back in 2021. And he, he didn't just beat Josh Warrington. He beat him down and knocked him out, gave him a broken jaw, you know, did some real damage to him in the rematch. They had a no contest because they clanked head or technical draw. They called it in the UK. They clanked heads and it was a bad headbutt in the fight. Uh, Lara got cut and the fight was uh, stopped. But even through the first round and three quarters or so uh, two round, you know, through the first two rounds, it looked like, Warrington was in for a very a very tough night also and ever since then he has won two more fights in a row by uh you know early knockouts and you know he's a punching machine he's a he's a quintessential Mexican brawler puncher and uh you know Lee Woods going to have his hands full I believe and it should be a hell of a fight uh you know I think some people favor Mauricio Lara to win this fight frankly even though he's the home, you know the going to the other guy's hometown in Nottingham where Lee is a big popular figure and uh you know credit to him he didn't have to fight Mauricio Lara This is not a mandatory defense. He's taking them on and should be a hell of a fight. And hopefully we'll get some excitement and some fireworks. And we not we may not be getting the mega fights that we want to see that we've talked about a lot, whether it's Usyk and Fury or Spence and Crawford or, you know, they're still trying to tidy down uh, Gervonta Davis against Ryan Garcia. Uh, But Mauricio Lara challenging Lee Wood is a very, very good fight on paper. I'm looking forward to watching that one. I am looking forward to it as well. We got good potential here. We'll call it that. We got good potential for this one. And the best U.S. odds, by the way, Lee Wood only. uh, How about this? Mauricio Laura is favored at two and a half to one. Lee Wood, a two to one underdog. So this is a fairly even fight from the odds makers at at most places. uh, Intriguing. Intriguing here for this. Ask yourself this. And I'm sure it's happened, but nothing comes to my mind immediately. When's the last time? the defending title holder fighting in his hometown coming off a knockout win against a mandatory challenger in a hell of a fight who was also a quality contender goes into this Titan defense at home and is the underdog. That is extremely rare. Sure. I would agree with you on that. You would be hard pressed to find a recent example of that, of what you just laid out, but Laura is that dangerous. So this is a good fight. Uh, anything else on that card of note, or do you want to move along to the Golden Boy card in the preview mode as we continue here uh, uh, up next? Again, that one will be, you like this, it's split. It's earlier in the day, U.S. time, before we get to the Saturday night uh, primetime Golden Boy show that's in Southern California. Anything else off that card, or do you want to move along? Yeah, there's, to you know, there's a couple. Of, I don't know if I would say they're like great, great matchups, but there's some prospects and some up-and-coming guys I'm interested to see. Uh, in the co-feature, you have the welterweight Dalton Smith, who is a very good prospect undefeated 13 and 0 he is the british uh 140 pound champion he is defending his title uh in the in the co-feature and he's a guy that that think that people think that can really go a long way that you know it's the building block of his career it's he's got the regional the british title which is a traditional title in the uk it's important for for fighters to win that on their way to bigger and better things and uh dalton smith has looked excellent so far so i look forward to seeing him there's another kid on the show that recently signed with matchroom he used to be with mtk before they went out of business uh, or, or were put out of business. His name is Gary Cully, 15-0 lightweight. And, uh, you know, these are two of the more interesting prospects on that show. So uh, they're they're in the televised fights prior to the main event. Not a huge undercard from that standpoint, but those are a couple of guys to keep an eye on. And as you mentioned, by the way, uh, DAZN at 2 o'clock Eastern time for this matchroom card. And now we're going to move on to the Golden Boy card, which is 8 o'clock Eastern time uh, for that show that takes place in Southern California. All right, let's get into that one. Luis Neri will be headlining. I'm going to try the opponent's name. He's an Armenian that lives in California. Azat? Azat, the correct pronunciation of the first name? Or Azat? I think Azat is good. We call Azat. him Crazy A. <laughs> crazy A. Hovahanesian? Hovahanesian, right, is uh, oh, the on. name. We went over this before the show. I tried. I tried. Hovanesian. Hovanesian. Okay. Crazy A, as he's known. And you were telling me 
uh, that he lives in California, in Southern California. This fight in Southern California, there's a big Armenian population there as well. Uh, Neri is the better known fighter, having had a world title briefly before Brandon Figueroa knocked him out. And he's he's been a, uh, a prominent fighter in Southern California and in Mexico. So this is the main event, a 12-rounder here, a uh, WBC junior featherweight eliminator. I can't keep track. I always I got to have you as my resource to keep track of eliminators, okay. interim titles, so look, no, number is... one contenders. You just got to keep me straight. So it's a 12-round fight. Neri and his Armenian nationality opponent. Tell me more. Well, I mean, it's probably going to be a split crowd. It's taking place in Pomona, California, right outside of Los Angeles, probably in boxing circles, best known as the hometown of uh, the Hall of Famer Shane Mosley. Very anyway, nice. You got to figure there'll be a number of Armenians that come out to support Hovindesian. There'll obviously be uh, Mexican fans there to support Luis Neri. And again, similar to the Lee Wood fight against uh, the Lee Wood fight that we got coming up on on the other show, where he's defending the title. Uh, this is a fight that I think also spells action. Uh, again, they're not the most well-known guys in the world. Neri's been a title holder at junior bantamweight, as well as at, I'm, I'm sorry, at bantamweight, as well as at junior featherweight. Uh, Hovanesian has fought for a title once before, uh, and is always a guy that brings the action, you know. But he has uh, he has not lost since 2018. That's when he challenged the then WBC 122-pound champion Ray Vargas for that title. Uh, but he's won a bunch of fights in a row ever since, you know, against a okay set of opponents. Uh, let me tell you, this fight, Matt, this fight on paper looks like a barn burner. I'm telling you, this is going to be a good fight. I have no doubt about it. And the crowds, like I said, I think the crowd will be split. They'll be buoyed by, you know, their cheering crowd. Um, you know, we've all seen uh, Neary in fights before. You know, he he didn't look great when he got knocked out by Figueroa, as you mentioned before. That was in a, uh, a two-belt title fight at 122 pounds. Now he's, you know, moving up. Uh, he has moved up, and now he's back at 122. And it just should be, <laughs> I mean... It should be a barn burner. I mean, I'm more interested in the in the fight between Wood and Lara, but this fight between uh, Neri and Hovanissian should be action. I, I wish that it was a doubleheader on the same show, but, you know, you can't get what you want. It's two promoters. They're the two main events. Not a lot of other stuff on those undercards, but the two main events are worthwhile fights to watch. And again, Neri only a one and a half uh, to one favorite here in this. We'll talk more about it on our Bet US show, free plug Friday, one Eastern time, depending on when you're hearing us on the podcast, or you can catch it later. We're live at one Eastern time. Uh, Hovanesian is a plus 120 underdog. There's an over under of 10 and a half rounds. Again, scheduled 412. And Neri, again, is 33 and one with 25 KOs. For his part, Hovanesian is 21 and three. So this is it. This is the Golden the Boy that, main event. Go ahead. One of the things that intrigues me by this is that most of the time when you see a Luis Neri fight and you're like trying to assess the matchup, it's always usually going to be that Neri is probably going to be the more aggressive fighter. Perhaps the one exception was against Brandon Figueroa and they were equally aggressive and obviously Neri got stopped. But this is one of those times where I'm pretty sure that Hovindesian is actually going to be the more aggressive fighter. I mean, not to say that Neri isn't, but that's just the style. Uh, they don't call him Crazy A because he lays back and counter punches. Okay? They call him Crazy A because he goes in like he's looking to take your head off. So I should start calling you Crazy D. But in the in the <laughs> Neri situation, I mean, Figueroa took him out with one shot, a body shot. It was a good – it was a back-and-forth battle for a while. Figueroa is an action inside fighter, and he caught Neri with a wicked body shot, and that ended things, uh, counting him out. So – uh, in any event, that's the main event on the Golden Boy card. Is there something else that strikes you on the Golden Boy card for Saturday night in Pomona, California? Well, you know how we talked about last week when you asked me what I thought about the Showtime card about Foster and Vargas, and my response was like, eh. I mean, the undercard, I mean, again, I got to keep it real with the with the listeners. Uh, it's it's not a very good undercard. Shane Mosley Jr. in his hometown of Pomona mm -hmm. is in the co-feature, uh, who is uh, – you know, I can't even say he's on the rise anymore. He's he's a good fighter and all that. He's eighteen and four. He's you win some, you lose some. Uh, he's you know he's he's fighting at super middleweight. He's taking on a guy that's like thirty three and ten who's been on, you know, lost a bunch of fights. It's just I don't know. To me, it's not it. The guy's the lie. The guy that he's fighting has lost two fights in a row. My memory serves. He got knocked out in his last fight. And listen, I'm why I can't wait for the main event of both cards. I'm interested to see Dalton Smith on the other show. Uh, I can't really be honest and say there's too much on this uh, Golden Boy card that really strikes my fancy. All right. 
But see, again, I appreciate that. And I think a lot of our, our loyal audience appreciates that too, because we're not going to. But I'm not bullshitting about the main event. The main I hear good. you, and but we're not we're not going to serve you chicken droppings and say that it's chicken salad or chicken something else. So, exactly. uh, all right, let's get to some news of the week and then some nostalgia besides the Gervonta Davis news. How surprised were you, are you, that Edgar Berlanga picked matchroom boxing and not Golden Boy promotion, speaking of Oscar De La Hoya's outfit, uh, much less premier boxing champions or anybody else. Since leaving top rank, Berlanga has agreed now with Matchroom Boxing to a multi-fight deal. The name Canelo Alvarez being bantied about for a future fight down the road, not anytime soon. Did this surprise you that that's the outlet he picked? You interviewed him recently. What are your thoughts? No, it, it doesn't surprise me. Look, I mean, he was in a good position where he had, you know, all three of the main companies in the United States seeking his services other than top rank, who we had just parted ways with. So when you come down to who am I going to pick? Obviously, if the you know all things being equal in terms of what the money is, it doesn't surprise me that he went with Matchroom. And it's not a knock on PBC or on Golden Boy. It's just that they don't work with Canelo, and he believes at the end of this deal that he's going to get in the next you know maybe two fights down the road, he's going to get a Canelo fight. Now I understand boxing fans pissing all over that and saying that's bullshit. He doesn't deserve it. It's ridiculous. And I'm not saying that I think he deserves it or should get it at this moment in time either. I'm just telling you what the reality is that he thinks and that Matchroom is interested to make that fight, you know, give Canelo a, a Puerto Rican opponent to make a big event with. And look, Canelo mm -hmm. has every right to occasionally take a fight where he's going to be the big favorite. I guess he's the biggest star in the sport. He's fought, you know, uh, everybody out there. And, uh, you know, if, if Berlanga can get back in the ring, remember he's coming off a fight last summer where he bit the, tried to bite Romer on the, on the shoulder uh, Alexis Romer Angulo and got suspended for six months and fined by the New York commission. So he hasn't fought since last summer. He'll probably be back in the ring, uh, you know, in the late part of this spring, you know, I would say no later than June. So he'll be coming off of no longer than a one year layoff. Uh, but he's got to take care of the business. I'm, I'm sure he's not going to be matched up too tough. Uh, you know, as the saying goes, he's probably going to get two bus boys and then maybe get a chance to fight Canelo. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. And, uh, so the point is, for a couple of reasons, it doesn't surprise me. One, his manager, Keith Connolly, has done a tremendous amount of business with Eddie Hearn, who he's also done a lot of business with Heyman also. But the fact that he does do business uh, regular with Hearn is helpful. The fact that Hearn does uh, work with Canelo may not be an official long-term promotional agreement, but they are uh, you know, on good terms. And he's done most of his recent fights other than Oh, he's done, I should say, all of his, he's done every one of Canelo's fights since Canelo left Golden Boy, other than the one fight across the street to go for undisputed against Caleb Plant. And then he came back and did uh, fights beyond that. So uh, they're, they're as close as you can be without actually having a promotional deal. And you know what? The fact that he doesn't have to stay there in some ways, that makes them it even a better deal because he's not, he doesn't feel like strangled by him. He can just do what he wants to do. And if Berlang is there and the money is right, They'll do that fight at some point, I would think. And so this is logical. And again, logic and boxing don't often go together. You and I know this because uh, we've been at this a long time. Uh, but if Canelo is, in fact, fighting uh, coming up against John Ryder, if that is the fight from England and it's, uh, it's Cinco de Mayo weekend. Or Mexico. It, or Mexico. Or Mexico, wherever it Most, is. More likely Mexico than England. Okay. But if they are fighting. I know where you're not, going with this. It would not the be answer. unrealistic that Berlanga's on that undercard, right? Because why not put him on the undercard? get a fight in for him here in a couple of months. And then down the road, maybe he's on the undercard again of a Canelo fight, because that would be smart strategy. The, the reason business. why, the reason why that's, I'm not saying it's not possible, mm -hmm. but it, 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 based on my conversations with team Berlanga, that's unlikely. He's probably going to have his own. He'll be probably be the main event of his own show at some, maybe not both fights that he does, but certainly at least one. Uh, look, he does sell some tickets in New York. He does have an element of popularity. Matchroom is supposed to do a certain number of shows in the United States. They do not have a big stable of American-based fighters to do those shows with. Obviously, they do work with uh, like Bam Rodriguez, for example. So the next show that he's going to headline is going to take place in his hometown of San Antonio. But they're probably going to do a Berlanga-related show in New York at some point. So I don't see him being on that on that May undercard necessarily. I can't. I wouldn't say it's impossible, but unlikely. The bottom line is, they came up with a good offer. He does good business with the manager. He had opponents that they were interested in. They laid out a game plan. The money was in the same ballpark. You know you're going to get activity. Uh, and with with not to say he wouldn't have gotten that with Golden Boy, 
but they would not have any way to make a Canelo fight. That would just be, you know, DOA. And with PBC, they've got so many fighters that they have to handle that they already have trouble finding spots for an activity for uh, that. It just didn't seem like the right fit. That's the way I looked at it. They have other super middleweights. They've got plant. They've got Benavides. They've got other guys. Uh, but it feels like from day one, it was he was destined for Matram, and that proved out. All right, uh, so there you go on that. Speaking of Canelo, we did have the Super Bowl won by the Chiefs. Uh, we had all the different commercials uh, from last weekend, and there was Canelo Alvarez in part of the, uh, I love the Caddyshack movie, which is now <laughs> 43 years old this year. It's 43 years old. But Canelo's driving the golf cart while they're playing the Kenny Loggins, I'm all right. Uh, and uh, Brian Cox, the actor, by the way, who is part of are you into the HBO show Succession? Have you gotten into that? No, uh, the, oh, it's tremendous. It is so well done. Uh, drama, comedy, very well done. And Brian Cox plays the patriarch of the family that is the uh, the mogul, the empire head, Logan Roy. So it's perfect that he's bringing back in that commercial being like Ted Knight's character, Judge Smales from Caddyshack. Shut that off or, what well, you know, whatever. All the complaining. And Serena Williams is in the commercial, but it's Canelo driving the cart. And Canelo's a big golfer, too. But Canelo's driving the beverage cart, Dan Rayfield. I thought it was some good humor on the Super Bowl ad. Well, to me, the biggest thing was that Canelo Alvarez was in a commercial with these other you know, famous yeah. people, Serena Williams, for example. And I, I, I was watching it. First of all, it was a humorous, it was a humor, uh, humor filled commercial. So that's the first thing. The second thing I kept thinking about, I couldn't help myself is I was thinking what other boxer in today's sport, you know, in other mm-hmm. words, not Mike Tyson, not Evander Holyfield, not, you know, uh, Oscar De La Hoya, not a, a big name from the past fighting, but who of today's current group of boxers could you see in a commercial in the Super Bowl, which is the biggest television show in the country right. every year. It did 113 million viewers. It was the third most watched show in the history of television behind only two other Super Bowls. What other boxer has that kind of clout that could be in a commercial like that? And honestly, the answer is nobody. None. Zero. Nobody. Not even I would agree close. with you. Now, Ryan Garcia does not have the level of fame of a Canelo Alvarez. He does have a sponsorship deal with Gatorade. So maybe that's a possibility, but that hasn't happened yet. Yeah, but yet. the main, the mainstream sports fan, yeah. the casual boxing fan might know him, but the average sports fan doesn't know him. We know I him. I just thought seeing Canelo Alvarez right. showed me that that boxing, there's still, at least in this hemisphere, in this country, uh, there's only one face of boxing right now, and it is Canelo Alvarez, for better or for worse. That's the reality. Uh, because there's no other fighter out there that could be a star of a big-time you know, and it wasn't, by the way, some rinky-dink brand. This is Michelob Ultra Beer. Correct. This is a big-time product that they. And by, and by the way, that was a sixty-second Super Bowl ad, which was going for right at seven million dollars. So that was a fourteen million dollar commercial just for the. No, no, time. no. The, right, the right, fourteen million. Correct, seven million for the th- for the uh, thirty seconds. So that commercial had been running, by the way, a little bit before the Super Bowl, but they ran it during the Super Bowl. And you can see it online on YouTube with Canelo driving the beverage cart. He's a big time golfer. He he is a good golfer. And you know that I'm a golf guy too. He won a pro am not long ago. So yes, he can he can play in addition to fighting. And let's get him back in the ring. What a perfect segue while we talk some news that in terms of a fighter being active, being world right. world known, being uh, having his brand out there. Now let's talk about a fighter that's done nothing, and are we finally going to see him in the ring, Jamal Charlo, the WBC middleweight champion? And that that name has been kicked around for fighting Canelo for the last year or two, but he's got to get it back in the ring first. He is hinting on social media that he will be back in June. Nothing is officially announced, no opponent, but he dropped the hint. Wasn't a hint. He said, I'm oh. back in June. Well, he's there's nothing officially announced, and aren't you the one that always preaches until it's signed, until we see it? Oh no, no, no of course, but I, but that doesn't mean he can't have a date that's set aside by PBC and Showtime. He says he's back in June, and by the way, June is when he's been fighting. They always have tried the last couple of years to do a fight for him on the Juneteenth holiday in Houston, uh, which is a big deal for for uh, for in Texas, obviously, and certainly for African Americans. In any event, he fought on that weekend in 2021 in Houston. In the title defense against uh, Juan Macias Montiel. That's the last time we saw him. Yeah, he won every round. Last proof of life. That's the last time we saw him. So he was supposed to come back. That was June of 21. He was supposed to come back on that same weekend of June of 22 against Seleski. That fight was canceled uh, not that long before. They claimed it was because uh, Charlo had a back injury. Uh, 
back injury got a lot worse as the ticket sales got a lot less uh, <laughs> in any event. But it was never, you know, it was, listen, when that first was canceled or postponed, however you want to term it, I, I was told by people that were involved, it's a, it's a, not a big deal. He's going to lay off for probably like a month, maybe six weeks and he'll be back. And then boom, it never was rescheduled. And he's been out of the ring ever since. So he's only had two fights since the, in December of 2019, he fought Dennis Hogan. Since the end of 2019, he's fought twice. Once in 2020, that was, you know, nine months later, which was the good win against Sergey Devonchenko in a pay-per-view on Showtime that he shared with his brother. And then he laid off until June of 21. That's when he had the Macias Montiel fight. And then he hasn't fought since. So all that said, I'm glad that Dead Charlo's back in business. I'm ba- I'd like to see him back in there right now. Who he's going to fight, I couldn't tell you. The middleweight division is not exactly stacked. He does have a mandatory against Carlos Adamas, who was uh, – was approved to fight for the WBC's interim title during his time out of the ring, uh, supposedly due to injury. But they also made a ruling that both Charlo and Adamas are allowed to take an interim title fight before they're forced to fight each other. So he's not obligated to fight Adamas on the return fight. And likewise, Adamas can go and do some some other fight also. So I doubt they're going to fight each other. And I honestly believe that once he fights this fight come June, if it happens, you're probably going to see him go up to the super middleweight division at some point because there is going to be bigger money and opportunity, whether it's against a Canelo or maybe against the winner of Benavides against Plant or the loser if it goes, uh, you know, if it's a hell of a fight or whatever. Um, but but the bottom line is Charlo brings some excitement. He's interesting. He's undefeated. He's 32-0. He's a world champion. He's been a world champion also at junior middleweight. His resume at junior middleweight was outstanding. His resume at middleweight is kind of, you know, nothing to write home about. But uh, I don't know. I like watching him fight, and I'm glad he's back. All right, real quick, a couple of other fight items uh, of note, a couple of other news items of note here on the Big Fight Weekend Preview, and then we're going to do a little nostalgia and be done. Uh, Kinshiro Taraji is going to be back in the ring, unified junior flyweight champion to fight the WBO title holder Jonathan Gonzalez. Uh, a three-belt unification is coming at 108 pounds. That fight was announced earlier in the week, and I know we're excited about Taraji because he's an action fighter. Uh, and uh, that fight coming up April the 8th in Japan. Anything there real yeah. quick? Yeah, no, it's a good fight. I mean, we're going to get to see it here in the States on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, it's uh, part of a big deal that that is in Japan between the promoter and Amazon Prime that Top Rank is also involved with. It's a... Uh, but it's a good match. Look, Jonathan Gonzalez, who's a WBO champion, fought in the co-feature uh, on Taraji's last show when he unified the titles against Kayaguchi uh, in a fight that I thought was going to be great. And it turned out to be really good, but pretty one-sided because uh, Taraji ended up knocking him out and, and, and winning pretty handily. But uh, he's getting he's getting there. three. You know, The winner will be three-quarters of the way to the full unification. And uh, it's just a good matchup. And I know the smaller weight classes don't attract you know, that kind of uh, mega attention, at least in the United States. But if you like boxing, you like small fighters, uh, that's a really good fight. And there's some other good stuff on the undercard. So we we uh, we know that, that Noyoi, in a way, became undisputed in the Bantamweight division. He then vacated all of the titles. His younger brother uh, is going to fight for one of those vacant titles against Laborio Solis uh, on that undercard. And actually, we're talking about Taraji against Gonzalez. The crazy thing is, officially, the main event of that card is Tenshin Nakasawa, who was the fighter, the famous kickboxer from Japan, who was 42-0 as a kickboxer. But those of us who follow boxing know him from a few years ago on New Year's night, I think New Year's night of 2018, when Floyd Mayweather in an exhibition in Japan brutalized him and obliterated him and knocked him down three times and knocked him out in round one. But he's making his now official boxing professional debut in a six-rounder at Junior Featherweight. Now, keep in mind, when he fought Mayweather, this is a guy that's basically a 122 to 126 pounder as a boxer. Floyd was like 150 plus in that fight. <laughs> it was like, it was ridiculous. Mismatch. Right. Um, so in Japan though, he's a big deal and he's making his pro debut. That's officially the main event, but I mean, I'm there for Taraji against Gonzalez, I hear and, you. you know, the Inoue's brother and there's some other stuff on there also. So, you know, if you like, if you like those kinds of shows, I'm in all in for that. All right, uh, good enough uh, on that. Uh, real quick, Benavides and Plant is coming up before that in March, and the undercard has been filled out. Give me something real quick on that before we do nostalgia. You were reporting on this. Well, yeah, I mean, this was no shock. I mean, uh, myself and I know others reported on what these fights would be. Uh, Plant Benavides, of course, being the main event, that's an excellent fight for sure. That's March 25th at the MGM in Vegas. But they rounded out and made official the undercard. You got a junior middleweight fight between two undefeated fighters, uh, Young, younger guys on the rise, uh, Jesus Ramos and Joey Spencer, 
you know, I've not been a big fan of Joey Spencer. I know the people who mm-hmm. want to call him a prospect. I don't agree with that. I think he's uh, been a lot of smoke and mirrors, if you ask me. But to his credit, from what I'm told, that Spencer, who's going to be a big underdog, I think, in this fight against Ramos, is a tremendous prospect, really, really wanted this fight, took this fight with no questions asked, really wanted the fight. But, you know, Ramos has a chance to be like a top-level guy. He's 19-0 with 15 knockouts. Uh, Spencer, you know, he's 16-0. and Let's see if he can handle himself against the younger guys. So that's uh, two prospects. I don't view it as a, as a, as a worthy co-feature, but it's still a decent matchup. Uh, you got Chris Colbert and Jose Valenzuela. They're coming off losses, trying to get themselves right. Of course, Colbert was more well-known. He's the one uh, that had uh, the big upset loss against Hector Luis Garcia, uh, where it was a huge shocker. A lot of people called that the upset of the year. And in the opening fight, which is, to me, in terms of action, think has a chance to be the best fight on the card, other than, of course, the main event. That's a welterweight WBC uh, semifinal eliminator between Cody Crowley, the Canadian welterweight, against Albo Ramos, who has fought for a world title in the past. He's the brother, or I'm sorry, the, he's the uncle of Jesus Ramos. But he's always been in good fights. I mean, I don't consider him to be a serious contender at this point, but he gives you a great effort. He gives you your money's worth. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I've heard a lot of people say, oh, that's a great undercard. Yo, slow your roll, my people. <laughs> I use the word, it's a decent undercard. Now, I come from an era where you paid your $50 and you got like five title, four title fights on the card with multiple big names. But unfortunately, today's group of pay-per-view buyers, which are less because of a lot of reasons, have been willing to accept. And I don't want to insult the card. I'm not saying it's a bad card, so don't make any mistake. But to use the word great offends me. It's a decent card. I think you'll have entertainment. I think the fights are evenly matched for the most part. Uh, I'd like to have seen some other significant name on there or some other significant title fight for $75 that they're charging, You know, particularly for a main event, which is a good fight, but I don't consider a mega fight. Okay, fine. Again, nice card, but to use the word great is ridiculous. I had to point out, and you can, and this was just two examples. I could have found you 20 examples. Great cards are like Revenge the Rematches or any number of the Don King cards from the late 90s, early 2000s. I pointed out that. Yeah. Yeah. I pointed out a card from 03 in, in, in uh, Atlantic City that had eight world championship fights on it. There were so many they could, you know, I remember Don running around town. I wrote about this in my, in my column the other day. There's, you got eight on the scene and five on the screen. You know, he had Bernard. There was two undisputed <laughs> title fights on the show. There was one of which was a unification. One was a, a undisputed defense by Hopkins. You had another uh, unification on the undercard. You had title fights with Zab Judah. You had a heavyweight fight right, with Rockman right. and Ruiz. I mean, that fight stunk, but the rest of the card was good. You had a cruiserweight title fight. You had a junior flyweight. I mean, you just had a little bit of everything. That was a great card. Benavides and Plant, nice card. Good enough. Got Everybody has to temper things. Uh, the one thing I was thinking of, because I saw you going back and forth with our buddy Dan Canobio, who I love what he does. Uh, and he's doing a bunch of stuff with John. Hey, Boyd Dan introduced now. me to you. Yeah, that's correct. And we and we have uh, love for that relationship. Although at times I begin to shake my head on why I let Canobio. Uh, never mind. Uh, but by the any way, event, I do too, my brother, I do too. <laughs> so in any event, we get along well, though. Uh, so in any event, you and Canobio were kind of going back and forth, and you used, the, the, I think, playfully on social media the term yes, brainwash. Playfully. Now. What what you're talking about is if you are fed substandard or fed the lie, if we get strong, that this is a great card or this is a great deal on a new card or this is, uh, you know, a great restaurant to go and eat. If you if you are fed uh, the lie that this is great sooner or later, if you keep being fed that you're going to begin to believe it. You're going to begin to believe that this really is great if you keep getting fed that. And I, I think what your overall point is, I don't have to speak for you, is there used to be great championship undercards, and there aren't any more. So just don't use great. Don't use it's a, great. It's a, or by today's it's standard, decent. it's good or it's decent, but just don't use great. Because yeah, we I'm know not, what a great I'm not knocking was. the show. I'm not saying don't buy it or boycott it or some stupid shit like that. I'm saying don't call it a great card. Great cards had guys like Felix Trinidad on the undercard in title defenses. I got you. Had guys like, you know, Julian Jackson on the undercard in title defenses. Had guys like Hector Camacho on the undercard in major fights. Don't call it great. Don't call it stacked. You want to call it evenly matched? You want to tell me you think it's going to be entertaining? I'm down with that. But don't call it a great card. It's a good card, a decent card. I'm going to buy it. I'm looking forward to it. But I cannot use the word great 
a thousand miles from it. So when I see people like my man Canobio, Canobio, who I like, who I'm friends with, who I respect, he's been around forever. He grew up in the in boxing. You know, his father, uh, the creator of CompuBox, so he knows his shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think he realized he might have maybe spoke a little bit out of turn to call it great. So I just want everybody to temper uh, the the their their verbiage on it. That's all. Hyperbole is out there everywhere. Uh, all right, nostalgia. First of all, I may be smacking you here, just a forewarning to the audience. Uh, we had the 45th anniversary earlier this week of Leon Spinks's upset of Muhammad Ali, as big a deal as you can get, because Ali had had won the thrill in Manila. He had won the rumble in the jungle. And this was Leon Spinks, who had only previously had eight fights, ninth pro fight. Leon Spinks, the Olympic champion, upset Muhammad Ali 45 years ago earlier this week in Las Vegas in a 15-round decision. And this was a time period, uh, again, where a lot of a lot of these fights were on closed circuit. There was no pay-per-view. You had to go to a movie theater. You had to go to a ballroom, something like that, to watch uh, an Ali world heavyweight title fight with Frazier, with Foreman, with Ken Norton, whomever he was fighting. This fight was actually bid out, and CBS, the broadcast network, bid the most money. And I even sent you a link to this, uh, to a remastered yeah, version on YouTube. And it was tremendous with Brent Musburger on the call uh, with the fight doctor, Ferdy Pacheco, and Jimmy the Greek from the NFL Today, the, the football TV show. They were on the call because CBS bid some significant money to show it on over-the-air TV. Network TV, back in a day, as Dan knows, when there were only three channels, ABC, CBS, NBC, or public broadcasting. There were essentially four, but three for most of the pro- – okay, so that that upset was 45 years ago, and then later that same year, in the fall of that year in New Orleans, was the rematch on ABC with the Howard Cosell on the call of the rematch in the Louisiana Superdome. By the way, that, that fight in the Superdome, with uh, an attendance of around 65,000 set the American indoor attendance record, which was then later broken by a fight I went to last year between Canelo Alvarez and Billy Joe Saunders at the AT&T stadium in Arlington, Texas, that drew 73,000 plus. So that alley attendance record for the rematch with Leon Spinks had stood since uh, 1978 all the way until 2022. Incredible. And, and further incredible when CBS, so hold on, hold on though. When CBS showed the first fight with Spinks, they got around a $40 million, a 40 uh, million person audience. Do you know the audience number for the rematch six months later in the fall for ABC Ali trying to regain the title and they built it up for the Superdome? Do you have a guess? If you don't I mean, know, it was a, I know it was a huge, uh, I mean, I think it was a, even a bigger 91 deal than that. Yeah. million. It was Super Bowl level of what it used to be. I mean, y- yeah, just but... think about like this. the Super Bowl was 113 million. Right. And in 1978, there was a lot less people in the United States. You are States correct. Than the- Nice. 91 million people watched the rematch six months later, but it was a big deal. That, and it's uh, too bad because uh, the uh, the rematch was a much worse fight from an right. entertainment point of view than the first fight. The first fight was actually a much better fight, particularly the 15th round where they were just slugging it out. But the thing you mentioned about how Leon Spinks was in the first fight when he scored the big upset, you say, well, how could this guy in after eight fights get a heavyweight championship fight? Number one, he won an Olympic gold medal in the 76 Olympics. That was obviously a huge deal in the catapult of his pro career. Obviously his brother, Michael Spinks, who became the light heavyweight champion and the heavyweight champion also was a gold medalist in those Olympics, but he wasn't even like undefeated going in. Uh, he was undefeated, but he already had scored a, he had had a draw two fights before he fought Ali. So he wasn't even like had a pristine record. Imagine if Twitter existed then, if they made that fight today, right. they put a guy, was well, like, but I mean, Ali would frequently defend the title against people you'd never heard of. At least you had heard of Leon Spinks. And again, it was after the thrill in Manila. It was after he fought Ken Norton again at Yankee Stadium that he's fighting Leon Spinks. And it was just it was an upset. You love the Sports Illustrated covers. The cover is a toothless front toothless Leon Spinks smiling that says just simply Leon with an exclamation point that week after that upset. Uh, and again, what a different time, 45 but he, years but, ago. But Ali, by the way, Ali had fought. It wasn't like it was, you know, I don't want to mislead people. It was not immediately after the Thrill of Manila. Right. Ali had had several fights mm-hmm. after the Thrill of Manila before he got the fight or made the fight against, uh, you know, against uh, against Leon Spinks. He had had a number of fights in between. 
and he lost. He was 36 years old. He should have probably not even been fighting at that point. He was on his last legs. Uh, Leon Spinks had one night. You know, he's the he's the equivalent of a one hit wonder in music where he had, you know, a guy or, or a band or a, or a singer has one big hit and never does anything again. <laughs> Leon was around for a long time, but he had one big win in his career, and that was to win the heavyweight title. Uh, he lost it uh, by a decision to Ali, you know, like you said, at the end of that year. But that's as famous an upset as there is. I mean, he was Buster Douglas before there was Buster Douglas. That's true. And the Spinks brothers are still the only two brothers to ever hold the heavyweight title because Michael oh, got me? it years later. Excuse me? Who's who's the other uh, brother duo? Did you ever hear of Vladimir Vitaly Klitschko? Are we going to compare them to the Spinks brothers? They're better than the Spinks brothers as heavyweights. Now, this would be an interesting whoa, debate. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, let's This would go, be an interesting on. debate. Hold on. It's not a debate. It's a fucking blowout. I got you. Vladimir Klitschko appeared in more heavyweight championship fights than anybody who ever lived, period. He had two defenses, uh, two, two title reigns. He had 18 consecutive defenses of the second reign. He may not have had like superstar opponents to fight. Most of them are nobodies. Most of them are He also won a gold medal, by the way. Okay. I mean, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Leon Spinks get in the Hall of Fame with a ticket. (laughs) Uh, Vitaly Klitschko is also in the Hall of Fame. He didn't go to the Olympics, but he was a standout amateur. I think it might be a draw. Michael Spinks, light heavyweight champion. Michael Spinks, Michael Spinks wins the heavyweight title from Larry Holmes. Vitaly Klitschko was out for four years with a knee and a back injury. He was named champion emeritus. When he ended his retirement, he came out of retirement, and in his first fight back after four years out of the ring, he destroyed a undefeated big puncher in Samuel Peter, like not even breaking a sweat, and went on to make another nine defenses after that. You know, you always tell people, I do this shit without looking at anything. I'm telling you, you this off my mind. I know you He are. dominated everybody. The only reason that neither one of the two guys became undisputed was because they were never going to fight each other obviously as brothers this ain't fucking tennis where the serena and venus could play each other and hit a ball across the net they're not going to go punch each other in the face and by the way i sat one time with emmanuel stewart and i heard the stories from him and i heard stories from vitaly and vladimir too as a matter of fact about the wars that they used to have in sparring it got so bad that at one point i believe it was uh, vladimir that suffered a very bad leg injury because of in a sparring session with his brother and at that point they just stopped sparring together their mother was all upset about it. They promised her mother they oh would never boy. fight each other. Oh, the boy, point that's is, trouble, yes. Don't, don't fuck with your mom is the point. If you that's promise right. your mom, you better live up to it. So, again, all due respect to the great Michael Spinks and even to Leon Spinks, uh, you know, uh, rest in peace. Yeah. Uh, they were both characters. They were both important figures in boxing. But to suggest that they are somehow better as a duo than the Klitschko brothers is fucking blasphemy. All right, so you've swatted me down yet again. But Michael Spinks, very distinguished. Hall He's of a fame, great fighter. Career, yeah. career, gave Larry Holmes his first two losses, back-to-back fights. Knocked out very Jerry Cooney. losses. Well, he he won them. He got his hand raised. He knocked out Jerry Cooney. That wasn't controversial. Uh, but there was no in, any, of the, any of the fights that Klitschko won. Either one of them, they were not controversial. None of them were controversial. There's not a single fight which, on the Which Klitschko got knocked out by Corey Sanders, by the way. That was Vladimir well before okay. he was champion. Right. I'm not, I'm not I thought he was champion. I thought he was no. very up. Oh, hold on. You better look that up. You're doing off top of Dude, your head. Are you going to seriously fuck with me on Klitschko history and knowledge? This was, he did not have a portion of the title when Corey Sanders beat him. Oh, You're I thought you one... said when he got knocked out. No, I thought you meant Ross Purity. No, no I said fact, Corey Sanders. Yes. Are you, are you Corey now going to argue with me about things no, no, no. you're not listening to? Now you're getting on my case. I said okay, Corey listen. Sanders here's, here's knocked him out. The Corey Sanders knocked him out for the WBO title. They Thank never you. had a rematch. Yes, I thought Thank you, you meant security. My no. mistake. No, I'm just saying Corey Sanders knocked him out. I, that's it. I, you've convinced and me. And by the way, Layman Brewster knocked him out also, and then he came back and he destroyed Layman. The Klitschko the brothers, much more accomplished. They didn't Way fight. In the, yes, and they didn't fight in the United States, which hurt them too in terms of notoriety being on pay per view. No, you that's not true. That's yes, not true. it is. Yes, it is. Listen. True. They if you're a, a boxing their- person, hold on. If you're a boxing person, yes, you know them. But if the Klitschkos had fought more in the United States earlier, they would have been a bigger deal in the United States. They Both primarily of them fought, fought in Europe. many fights in the United States. Yeah, but later, but they yeah. were filling sixty-five thousand seat stadiums True. in Europe. Yeah, I'm not arguing you. I'm not arguing. By the way, let me tell like you one other thing about the Klitschkos. You want to Please. talk about the big audiences that that Ali and Spinks did on CBS and ABC for their two heavyweight title fights. When, when Vladimir Klitschko in particular would fight on a terrestrial station in Germany, in other words, not a cable station, like a mm-hmm. over-the-air, free-to-air station, 
he would draw equivalent to like 30 plus percent of the population of Germany watching his fights. Obviously, there's a lot fewer people in Germany than there is in the United States. But he was as big of a mainstream sports star or everyday star, sports or otherwise, that was in Germany. And he wasn't even from Germany. He's from Ukraine. So it's not even in, they're not even in the same league in that sense, in terms of accomplishment. Both brothers, the Spinks brothers, they won gold medals as amateurs. No, no issue there. They both became heavyweight champion, and Michael was also a light heavyweight champion. Michael's career as a heavyweight was, other than two controversial losses, or wins rather, over Larry Holmes, was very indistinguished and, of course, ended in 91 seconds of the fury of Mike Tyson. But the two Klitschko brothers, one of them won a gold medal, and they had long and decorated and dominating heavyweight championship reigns, period. Leon right. was champion for one night. I understand. I believe I'm not going to go down the road for 15 more minutes. I think Leon won a cruiserweight title and defended it world title several times. So I think that's right. You'll have to look that, that up. It's not, not we'll, accurate. We'll look it up here in a second. Uh, tell me, tell me about this nostalgia. Uh, that is now 23 years ago. Cause I remember this coming up on Sunday, Morales Barrera one was 23 years ago. I'm still stuck ago. on Leon Spinks not right. winning a cruiserweight title, by the way. All right, so now, look he did up. fight. He did fight another a number of other fights. And by the way, cruiserweight was just barely had been created. Okay. So he won a regional cruiserweight title fight in 1982. He never, not only did he not, not win the cruiserweight title, he got knocked out by Dwight Muhammad Kawi in 1986 in a cruiserweight world title fight. And... After that, that was all she wrote. He never. He also got knocked out by Larry Holmes. Am I correct? In another title shot, Leon. That was that was a heavyweight fight. Correct. Correct. But the point is, as a cruiserweight, he only fought. He fought for a title in the cruiserweight division when it was not a regarded title at all, and he got smoked in that fight. And in the and he did fight one more time for the heavyweight title against Larry Holmes, who took care of him in three rounds. There you go. All right, Morales Barrera won. Were you ringside for this fight 23 years ago? I was not ringside for this fight, but here's what happened. Here's why. Okay. Not what happened, but this is just the way it goes. About, I don't know, a few days before that fight. Today, frankly, as the day we record this, might be the actual anniversary. I actually have to go back and, and look up uh, if I can find, find it. I had gotten called by USA Today and hired to be their boxing writer. Mm -hmm. Like approximately today, 23 years ago. So... <laughs> I had done a, I had been there for four months and worked there. I worked at another paper in the same company and all that. So I was thrilled to death. It was, you know, one of the defining, if not the defining moment of my professional life, uh, getting that job, uh, you know, and it paved the way for everything I've been able to, to do and, and cover and be around in boxing for the last 20 plus years. But on the night that Marco Antonio Brer and Eric Morales had their fantastic first fight, I was sitting in my apartment in, Vestal, New York, working at the Press and Sun Bulletin as a sports writer and knowing that I had just gotten hired to be the boxing writer at USA Today and wasn't going to be moving to the to uh, Northern Virginia to start that job for about a month after that fight took place. So I remember very, very specifically and vividly, like literally just sitting on like the floor in my living room of my apartment in Vestal, New York, packing a box of stuff as I'm preparing to make my move <clears throat> and watch that fight and thinking to myself, you know, wouldn't it have been great if I got this gig like maybe a month ago, I'd be at the fight. Uh, so I didn't cover the first fight, but I did cover second fight and the third fight. But the first fight is one of the great fights of all time. This was a fight that Mexican fans and boxing fans have looked forward to a long time. They were the two top Mexican fighters of that moment. Uh, they both had a title. Now, granted, the title that Barrera had was the WBO belt, which at that time was not considered anything. That was still the three belt era, if you will. But they had a tremendous battle, an unforgettable fight. It celebrated like the fourth anniversary of Boxing After Dark. So remember, there was a single fight on that show. They didn't show any other undercard fights. They did a big montage of their past great fights on Boxing After Dark, uh, the great HBO series, as they led into the to the to the you know the pre-fight material. And uh, then they these two guys just went to battle, and it was one of the great fights ever. And it created a one of the greatest rivalries ever, one of the greatest trilogies ever. And uh, the fact that it's 23 years ago blows my mind. But the great thing about it was that was a fight that was on regular HBO, whereas the subsequent fights, two and three, were on HBO pay-per-view. So they cost extra money for all the fans. Uh, but they were worth it because those guys gave you your money's worth every time out. Uh, they weren't mismatched main events where you paid 80 bucks. Um, Barrera Morales, listen, both guys in the Hall of Fame. Yes. Both, both guys are in the conversation. Uh, you know, 
maybe not at the Chavez level, but certainly if you're going to make your list of the top 10 or top dozen Mexican fighters of all time, both Morales and Barrera are on that list, along with their contemporary Juan Manuel Marquez. And it still pisses me off to this day that Morales and Marquez never fought each other. Barrera fought Marquez when he was a little past his prime, but at least they fought each other. Uh, and as I like to say, I'd still pay money to watch uh, Marquez and Morales get in the ring and trade punches just for the hell of it. All right, good stuff on the nostalgia. With that, I think we are good for the fight previews. Would Laura, the Nary fight on uh, the Golden Boy DAZN card later Saturday night in Southern California. We're going to be writing about these in the preview mode on your Substack on BigFightWeekend.com. We'll make some predictions on those fights from a short-term investment standpoint on the BetUS Boxing Show. Check out the BetUS platforms. We'll be there live one Eastern time on Friday, depending on when you're seeing us or hearing us, we've got that coming on Friday. Other than that, you ready for the weekend? Are we good? I am ready. I'm ready. I'm listening. I'm ready for what I think two good fights, maybe not great undercards, but two good fights between right. Laura and uh, and Wood and then, of course, Hovinissian against uh, Neri. All right. We got all of that. We'll be in the recap mode as well on the Big Fight Weekend uh, podcast feed here with the Fight Freaks Unite recap coming off the weekend. Again, follow, subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify here. Dan Rayfield, have a great weekend. We'll see you on the BetUS show. We'll recap here on the podcast feed after the weekend is done, sir. Yes, sir. See you on the show. I am merely TJ Reeves. Thank you for finding us on the Big Fight Weekend Preview.